welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have a psychotherapist and author, Laura May Northrup. Join us for a conversation exploring how capitalism affects intimacy. Together, we talk about the power of community, identifying shared frustrations under capitalism across political ideologies, and staying in connection for transformative growth. Happy Wednesday, dear listener. Y'all know that I am always dropping a critique on capitalism, and this episode doesn't even begin to touch all of the ways that working under this large structure affects our ability to be in relationship. And like Laura mentioned in the episode, relationships to humans and to our earth, right, and to animals and much larger questions here that we explore in this episode. And one of the important things that I find useful, I guess, personally in my life is finding the areas where, you know, you can connect with people about a shared frustration regardless of political ideology. In my lived experience with my conservative family, it was really interesting to uh, hear that, you know, you can't throw words like socialism or capitalism out, but They were talking about how they were frustrated that, yeah, in America, corporations capitalize on your health. Your ability to live in health is something that someone makes money off of. And I don't know about you, but I feel like collectively, we all kind of know that's wrong, right? I mean, I feel like if you're an anarchist listening to this podcast, you're probably already there. But like, how do we speak to people who maybe don't have the same critiques? Uh, what are those common threads? And at least for me, I feel like, yeah, our healthcare system in America is certainly one of them. When we look at the data of other wealthy countries and see that America is one of the lowest, poorest health outcomes... I feel like I need to hold space for how bad that is. There is a resource below that talks about the capitalization of the healthcare system that I would definitely check out below in the show notes. I had no idea that hospitals weren't for profit until 1981. That was the first hospital we had in America that was for profit. And it's just fascinating now. I have, you know, friends in my community who are stressed out about finding out if their HMO will cover their therapist and what's the deductible and like, and it's just, we're all so exhausted that it gets hard to imagine a different future. And for many reasons, it's hard to imagine a different future. I think that if you're wanting to dive into like even deeper critiques of capitalism than I can hold in this podcast space, because it's not my area of expertise, One of my partners got me hooked on the podcast Upstream that talks a lot about critiquing capitalism, and I'm always learning from them. And (laughs) 
And even more funny, I watched the recent Barbie movie, y'all, and there was actually one line in it that mentioned frustration under capitalism. And y'all, I am happy if our collective consciousness is coming up to a point where in a Barbie movie we're actively talking about capitalism being problematic, even if it's a one-liner, y'all. There is a collective consciousness that is raising about these things. And I will be here to say that there are so many more of us than there are at the top, top billionaire level, okay? I certainly don't have all the answers for changing this, but I do feel like there is a rumbling in terms of our awareness of these things. And the power of a collective is fierce, and I am ready to see it. And I just appreciated this space to explore how the system of capitalism is affecting our ability to be in deep relationship and community with other people. And I know something like the idea of AI, dating AI, right? It's scary. This idea of like, how is AI going to affect our world? My God, I watched The Matrix recently. (laughs) And many of you have probably seen the film, but the premise is that AI took over and started using humans as the electricity source. And I just laughed because, you know, a world of AI taking over back in the 90s seemed pretty futuristic and, uh, Here we are in 2023, and uh, it's an interesting time, right, Um, to see all the things that are happening. But we can hold on to hope in that, I believe, in terms of our ability to navigate these waters and to, you know, like Laura said, (laughs) capitalism isn't going anywhere. It is a oppressive system, but what does it mean to stick to your values in that, right? And for me, I'm always talking about what does it mean to follow your pleasure under capitalism in a way that doesn't discredit the realities that it's problematic, but also within that, how can you still be connected to following your pleasure? And I certainly do not have the answers to what the future will look like and how we're going to navigate all of this, but I will continue to ask questions in this space with other People, other thinkers, other artists, other activists, other therapists, people who are challenging the status quo. I am recording so many fun, exciting, scary also episodes for you, dear listener, during this break that I have before my next academic semester starts, before I have to have my applications out for my internship placement next year. This Chicago summer is full of warm beach days nights of dancing my feet into the earth and recording juicy conversations for you, dear listener. So I hope you stay tuned to wherever this podcast takes both you and I. And remember, each of these guests gets to nominate the next guest. So this is often outside of my control and we're flowing to various conversations that I could have never predicted. And I am so, so thankful that you, dear listener, are tuning in each week on this journey with me. I hope you enjoy today's episode and tune in. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So yeah, I'm ready. Let's do this. Okay, let's do this. So the first question I would ask is, how would you introduce yourself? 
Hmm. I mean, in this context, I guess I would introduce myself as a psychotherapist and somebody who's uh, an advocate for survivors of sexual violence accessing healing. I, I'm not sure, you know, in a lot of contexts, I would just introduce myself as a human and kind of let people experience me. Totally. I think that's why I like the question. It's almost like a thematic, you know, sort of opportunity to see where the person takes that, right? They could take it in lots of different directions. So I like to like throw it out there very blank and see what happens with each guest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question because so much of our lives are structured around creating these identities of ourselves that like sort of allow us to survive capitalism. So, you know, of course I'm like, okay, I don't want to waste people's time because that's a precious you know, a precious thing to people, just answer with the thing that's the most aligned with that. But yeah, of course, ultimately, I'm a human being, just like everyone listening. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, I'd be curious, you know, thinking about today, what are you most passionate about? What is that thing that's lighting your fire up and keeping you going? I gotta pause. These are these are deep questions. <laughs> Starting off easy. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I would say one of the things that I'm most sort of passionate about right now, I'm working on a new season to my um, podcast. And so for people who aren't familiar with it, I made a podcast that's like a, it's almost more like an audio series that's was released as a podcast. And then um, that would kind of be considered season one. So I'm making the second installment, but this was, I released it in 2019. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's like a four year break in between, sure. but it's about people using psychedelics and entheogens to heal sexual trauma, which is like a very important thing to me near and dear to my heart. But one of the things I've been thinking the most about lately in relation to healing and as I'm like writing this second installment is just um, how powerful community is and how much isolation we live in and how that's a function of capitalism and kind of having this question, you know, I mean, I pray for capitalism to end, although I think when it when we do transition out of it, which we will at some point, I think it'll probably be pretty brutal and not that great, mm. uh, despite all the you know revolutionary fantasies we'd love to have. Mm -hmm. So so one thing I think about though is just like while we're here in this very disconnected, violent, exploitative system, how do we engage in meaningful community? Like how do we engage in meaningful community when for a lot of us we're so busy that most of our community is just our jobs and the little tiny bit we can have outside yeah. of that and and you know our jobs, our families, whatever, just kind of yeah. Like mm -hmm. if I have to spend an hour today, I spent an hour on the phone with the the internet company today. Like, I don't know. I'm just, I guess me and that person were connecting. <laughs> it's like, how do we maintain connection, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I want to like set you up for a pitch to hit a home run in asking, <laughs> well, Laura, how has capitalism messed up our ability to be in community? What What are you meaning by that? Yeah, I mean, I guess for people who who are where that's like maybe a newer concept, mm -hmm. you know, capitalism, one of the components that goes into a capitalist landscape is that the worker is able to be removed from their community. So they're able to like go to a factory or, you know, go to go to a place where the work is. And we evolved doing our, you know, quote, work in our communities. So people weren't moving, you know, across a country in order to work. At this point now, even, you know, with remote work, people are like, it's this really exciting, luxurious lifestyle to like be a digital nomad. But, you know, when you talk to people who do that, a lot of them are actually really lonely because yeah. there's something about relationship to place and ongoing relationship to community, not just sort of community you just made that year. That's really 
powerful and, mm-hmm. and meaningful to human beings. So yeah, capitalism, you know, one of the main components is that we can we're we're fungible. We can be moved from location to location in order to extract resources from one location or make it to a factory in another location. And that means that we're not that connected. Mm-hmm. We often move away from and it's a blessing and a curse. For a lot of people, it's exciting to move to another place. But the other thing about capitalism is that it just consumes um, so much of our time. So much of our time goes into work or goes into, you know, I just actually watched this person give a really funny meme the other day about she was complaining about doing um, those things where like you're going to log into your bank and then they give you a code and then you have to enter an access code to like mm-hmm. get to your bank. Yeah. And she was saying how, you know, if I this is like I'm wasting my life doing this. She's a person who talks about death. Yeah. And it's true. But, you know, that it is a waste of time at the same time that we have to do it. But sometimes I think about why am I entering this access code? It's because we live in capitalism and I have to protect this money because I have something that I don't want other people to take from me. And then other people, part of, you know, how they're surviving in the world is that they need and they might be taking from somebody else because they don't necessarily, you know, have that thing. And there's this dynamic where we spend so much time protecting Mm. resources because we live in a society that doesn't share resources where we want it to be the case that like some people can be very, very rich and other people are destitute. And I mean, I don't think we all want that. I think a lot of us are just kind of forced into it. But Mm -hmm. so, so much of our time is spent working or like protecting our assets, you know, like even when you make an insurance claim, I mean, all these things just take so much time out of your life. It's like, okay, well, like why why is this the life that we're living? If we were living lives where we were sharing more, this this actually wouldn't really be. I wouldn't need to spend all this time doing this, right. which is like a fantasy. Like we're not I'm not saying oh, and then we can just suddenly do that, but more just sort of observing. Like this is part of living in the system. Hmm. And that the system capitalizes off of our lack of awareness of that, right? Our lack of awareness of community and connection. You know those relational skills that we should all, I would say, be taught as a value in our society. I think coming from the therapy lens, I'm always thinking about that, how so many of these skills I think everyone should know. But when you spend your whole life having to work a nine to five or even more multiple jobs to be able to survive under this system, where is the time to learn those skills and to be in community to use them? It's not helpful for you to have those because then you'd be not wanting to maybe do it. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, and another thing I think about is like, so another big, uh, I'm assuming people who listen to your show are like a little bit, maybe have done some study about capitalism, but one yeah. of the, I'll just say this in case people haven't, one of the big uh, sort of um, tragedies or arguments uh, that people bring up is the loss of common space. Mm. So the loss of shared communal space in public that you don't have to pay to access. And I think about this a lot. It's like, if you want to you know, get together with friends or enjoy some time with people um, in public, you have to pay to enter a place to do it. And then spaces where you don't have to pay, like a park or things like that. You know, I live in Oakland in the Bay Area, and people often don't want to go into spaces like that because there are many people who are houseless who live in those spaces. Mm-hmm. But, you know, why do they live in those spaces? Because capitalism is so <laughs> incredibly exploitative. And and I understand, like, you know, that there are many people who are living that are houseless, that are really, really, really struggling. And I understand that that is hard for people to interact with. Maybe somebody who has like, is having a mental health crisis. 
though I also think, you know, there's another layer to not wanting to be in space with people who are houseless. That's about not wanting to see that thing that reminds us of not just like suffering in the world, but also of what we're trying to to work so hard to not have to suffer through. There's such a, uh, especially on the West Coast, there's such an intense conversation going on right now about houselessness and um, mm. people are so disdain, like there's so much contempt and disdain huh. for people who don't have homes. But in a sense, there's, I really see that as such a, like pushing away that potential because people don't want to face that. That is a lot of people who are houseless or people who, you know, maybe had some serious medical thing happen um, or are living through generational poverty, whatever. And this is the way the society is treating them. And that could happen to any of us in, in you know, in the wrong conditions. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of not wanting to look at it for, for that reason, et cetera. Lots of reasons. Anyway, going back to my original point, common space where you don't have to pay to access it. And it feels like the, you know, safe and like the people who are in that space are well is really difficult to to access. Yeah. And what does that mean that like we don't have spaces, land, earth that we can just access without having money to pay for that? I mean, what does it mean? I don't know. I, I think it means that we become extremely disconnected from space, but also yeah. that we are our lives are very um, constructed around engaging in capitalism. Yeah. 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 I was watching a documentary on climate change. Um, I think it was called The Last of Eden. I don't know. I'll have to put that in the show notes. But it was talking about how in Alaska they were selling off large chunks of land for to sell the wood and the timber and all of that. And it, it just is an interesting question of like who has the rights to sell that land that has large effects on all of our experience with capitalism. So when you start talking about like free space, I just think about, it's just, it's weird to think about the reality that we don't have spaces that where we can just go without having to pay for that. And that other people can sell off those pieces without our control. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, land privatization is not good. So much power to some with so little power to others in or, and, is i mean it's not good capitalism's not good i know and when you say capitalism what do you mean by capitalism because i think that sometimes when we throw that word out and we're always critiquing it there's not enough nuance to what that means and so each listener is going to interpret that in their own way of what you're really trying to hit at so i'd be curious if we could unfold that word to more yeah i'm using that word to mean a system in which there is an a value placed on increasing capital that has a disregard for the quality of the life of the people who are being exploited in order to increase that capital. Mm -hmm. So essentially workers' well-being, I mean, as long as a worker is alive and functioning, they are useful, but their comfort can not be important. Even their health in a lot of ways cannot be important. Obviously, you know, wanting to keep, like, there's a there's a need to keep people alive so they can keep working, but there are many, many conditions people work in that are really bad for their health. And this is so that people who are benefiting from capitalism can make increasingly larger profits. So not even just like, let's make the same thing as, you know, at each year, let's just sort of basically like, let's have the resources to live our life, but we have to actually have more and, and access and hoard wealth. So that's essentially like how I'm talking about capitalism. I mean, many more complex layers around it, but yeah, right. that's it. Right. And I think that some people hear that and think that, 
we're trying to come after people's money and that we're trying to destroy that when I think there's a nuance to the level of conversation about capital, right? The people at the very top and mm -hmm. how much space there is between that and the average person. Yeah, you know, and when people are kind of like, yeah, but, you know, whatever, I don't want to have to give up what I have. Yes. So one thing is, it's people at the very, very top that really would have to give up something, something that they're never going to use anyways. Like people at the top have more money than they could spend in their own lifetime. Um, unless they were like, I'm going to buy a, I don't know, a glass of water for a billion dollars. But even, uh, then. So, <laughs> even then, even then, you're like, could you <laughs> still get rid of all of it? Or will you actually make that much money that faster that that transaction is Maybe. actually meaningless? Yeah. But you know, the other thing I would say is like, I do think there's a lot of wealth hoarding that can happen below the, the billionaire level. Right. I mean, I, I know a lot of people are kind of like, yeah, you know, it's not millionaires that are really the problem. And I'm not going to say that any particular amount of money is or isn't the problem. It, I think the problem is the system itself. And yeah, and I also think a lot of people are really entrenched in the fantasy that they will someday have that money. I mean, especially in the U.S., you know, where we're speaking from, like, there's such an... um an emphasis on not sort of taxing the rich or forcing the rich to give up some of their funds because we fantasize we're going to be that someday, yeah. even though it's incredibly unlikely that we will be. Yeah. So I'm also just like, but how much money do you need? Like there's many people that, you know, I mean, I am going after your money. I am saying like, you probably shouldn't have that much money and other people need it. But what if you lived in a world where uh, you didn't have to constantly fear that your money would be taken away. I mean, that's yeah, a whole, a whole other aspect to being in a system like this is the fear of the loss of the money. Mm -hmm. So then it keeps you stuck in that cycle, right? Where yeah, you're, where like you're constantly trying on. to make more of it. Yeah. Yes, and dreaming that this is going to be some merit-based society, which is clearly not right, where you could accumulate all of that and get out of this. Like you said, so many people are stuck in that space, and I hear all this, and I'm I'm curious if you have an idea of what the future could be. I, I critique it, I get angry, and then I'm like, well, what is the other option though? I have no idea. Yeah. There are people who that. are, well, you know, I think there are people who are coming up with alternative ways that a business could run yeah. and sort of alternatives to capitalism. And I am glad they're out there thinking about it and coming up with the ideas because that's not my department. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm critical of it and I am talk a lot about kind of how to survive within it. But I don't have, I feel like someone who actually understands business more would right. be able to speak business and politics at the level that they'd be able to kind of comment on, like, what would actually have to happen for this yeah. to be different? And I mean, communism, socialism is something that many people kind of point to and they're like, no, this, you know, and to, to date, we have not seen necessarily um, some of the best rollouts of that. So tricky. <laughs> Right. And whatever it is, I believe that it will be a collective uprising. It will have mm -hmm. to be lots and lots of people coming together to see this and demanding fighting for a change. Yeah, certainly. You know, I listened to this podcast a while ago that was um, they were talking about how some people say that they are, uh, you know, revolutionaries and other people say that they're reformists. And they were making the comment, you know, what actually happens or what actually sort of is um, a politicized life is being whatever needs to happen right now. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when there's a mass 
movement towards like a zeitgeist toward revolution stepping up and being a revolutionary but to be um that that these are really things that are outside of our individual control so if we're living in a time where you know the the masses are moving toward reform for some reason that to be reformist is engaging in politics and to sit there and be like i'm a revolutionary while no one else wants to revolutionize anything in a way it's sort of misattuned to the political needs and I don't think reform is necessarily wrong. Um, I'm not a person who, you know, I know this can be kind of an argument like revolution or reform. I don't think it's wrong at all. Um, I think there's two really different uh, ways of interacting um, with larger systems. And yeah, like you kind of need a mass movement in order to get something going. Which I think highlighting the ways that it's keeping us disconnected and the pain, I think that's what's going to wake people up to it, right? I don't know what will wake people up. You know, this is an interesting question because yeah. a lot of people in the psychedelics world, you know, think psychedelics are going to save the world. They think mm -hmm. like everybody's going to take psychedelics and then everyone's going to be like, we love the earth. But what we're actually seeing is that people take psychedelics and they're like, oh my God, I could, you know, make more millions of dollars or something, you know, like mm -hmm. people use it as like, you know, hacks for their business. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that seeing pain mm. will wake people up i don't know that psychedelics are going to solve things i do i think it's interesting because so i've been like critiquing capitalism for a long time mm -hmm. it's interesting how much that narrative has become more popular and mainstreamed mm -hmm. post pandemic how so um i think a lot of people in the pandemic at least in the u.s have gained a deeper understanding of what is happening in the world I mean, I think people just kind of hit points where they were like, I am under a lot of stress and I hate my job. And I don't actually know that I want to keep doing whatever I'm doing, which is, you know, maybe beforehand was like, I'm going to work 80 hours a week and crush this and get a promotion. Ah, you know, so I do think there's more people critiquing capitalism. I think seeing some of the ways that the U.S. government engaged with the pandemic and kind of different different aspects of that. Even like something as simple as student loan uh, pause, just like, wow, wait, this whole time, this whole time, y'all could just pause the student loans and it's like the whole world's not falling apart. And like, you know, and many, many people are in extreme debt. So I do, I think that's been a big push. I, I'm shocked how many more people I just kind of hear s talking about capitalism with much, much more nuance than previously. Yeah, right. And even to think about the fact that we capitalize on our health. I find that an interesting one. Like I can see a world of capitalizing on goods and other things, but the fact that we capitalize on our actual health and well-being. Doesn't that just like strike? I guess I'm saying that as someone who has a very conservative family that goes down that way and i recently visited them and had some conversations about this and that seemed to like strike nerves and i'm curious like through these different pockets of beliefs and viewpoints like what are those common things about capitalism that we can sit and look at collectively and be like that seems wrong maybe we shouldn't capitalize on our medical treatment and ability to live yeah i mean i hear you that sometimes you have these conversations and people can be really defensive about it and I don't understand that frame. I don't understand why people are so attached to something that's harming them. I can understand it, you know, if I put on my like therapist hat, I understand, you know, but like on a just deep heart level, I'm like, but 
what if we just didn't have to pay, you know, go into mass medical debt for having a, an emergency? Totally. But, Which yeah. then maybe it is helpful to put on the therapist hat, right? And think about it as like an abusive relationship in some ways where this is what you've been <laughs> taught is the reality of the world that you live in. And so you're conditioned to be like, yeah, this is how I live my life. My nervous system is attuned to this level of constant stress that if I go into the ER, I might have medical bills so high that I could go bankrupt in this country. In this country which is wild. Yeah. And, you know, I also think that we, I mean, in the U S like we are extremely attached to individualism. So there's yeah. a lot of, you know, I don't want to be paying into a system that other people are abusing mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, if there was um, universal healthcare, some people, some people would be going to the doctor too much. Um, I mean, I know <laughs> this is what? an argument that I've heard what? that people are like, I, you know, <laughs> I don't want to do that we're really attached to our narratives of of what we've been told is the truth and like is that really a problem in countries that have universal health care that you know some people are going in to the doctors too much mm -mm. i have not heard that yeah right and i'm thinking about like the existential connection to the narrative of what america is and all these other ways that it is connected to the identity of the concept of america and these other sort of pieces so you're right. It's connected also to like the narrative of this society. But I think it's an interesting time to be alive where we can see other countries doing it differently. And once you start to hear of other countries having that, you almost kind of step back for a second and say, well, they have it and they're OK. Why don't we? Yeah. And again, I don't understand, you know, like, I mean, I'm like, should I bring up Bernie Sanders? Interesting. <laughs> well, it's like an interesting kind of thing that happened in the u.s because here's a politician that's coming up and saying you know hey like people deserve universal health care people deserve to not be you know living in destitute poverty etc cetera, etc cetera. and many 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 people who could have turned that vote you know didn't support him mm -hmm. and if and many people who would have really benefited like from more like i guess i would say like more socialist structure uh would benefit um and then uh do not support it i think because of political ideology i mean it really speaks to how important beliefs are i think i talk about that in my book but yeah like it really speaks to just like you know for example this sort of masochistic if we're going to put on the therapist hat idea of um i don't want there to be universal health care because some people mm -hmm. aren't doing enough like mm. these people shouldn't get that for example i don't want immigrants getting this or i don't want you know x y and z group to get X, to get this universal health care and i'm just sitting there thinking you're going to give up your opportunity at having universal health care to stop other people from having it it's a very masochistic behavior but that's a lot of you know that's a lot of how thinking mass thinking in the u.s i think plays out Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And the same thing with student loans. Uh, if if I've paid all of my student loans off, then I'm absolutely not going to sign off on you getting yours forgiven. Yeah, that's another argument. Yeah. Which is just seems ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I know it feels very like toddler like like right when you really think about that, like I did this, you have to do it too. Hmm. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like... I, for sure. I do think that that's uh, a very uh, astute observation about politics in this country toddler like i mean that there is there can be a lot of you know i'm mad so i'm gonna you know you guys can't do this or uh, i don't know yeah 
I know, I know. And I think it's interesting because then the therapy space like directly starts to hit that. And I think that's a lot of what your book in many ways was speaking to of like, how do you form a healing practice under capitalism? Yeah, how? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't, I mean, <laughs> it's inevitable that you have to work within it to survive, right? So that's never, I mean, unless, I don't know, unless we do some sort of complete trading of goods and go back to, I don't know, I don't think there is any way to, I mean, to be a therapist, you're doing it under a license, which goes under a whole thing that is controlled in the system of capitalism. I don't think there is a way to do that, at least. Healing yeah. maybe be, might be different depending on the context. I think it's really difficult to exit capitalism. Yeah. And I think, you know, to some degree, people have um, many, many, many times ever tried to exit capitalism. And I think it's a very difficult project because I actually think it's at this point entirely impossible. Mm. Even just the fact that land is is privatized mm. makes it so that it's, right. we, you know, you can't really exit capitalism. Um, mm -hmm. Because if let's say that you were like, okay, I'm going to buy some land and then live on the land and then we're going to live free of capitalism on the land. Okay. You had to buy the land right. and you actually still have to pay, pay land tax. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you still have to be having money to, right. even if you could find a way to barter everything. So I think exiting capitalism is not an option at this moment, at least as an individual, obviously yeah. in a mass movement, you know, more likely, but it's not an option. And so the question is just kind of like, how are you going to live in it? Mm. How are you going to practice kind of returning to your values at the same time that you're existing in an environment that's constantly pulling you away from them? I'm assuming that, I guess I should say my values, because <clears throat> it's possible people are listening that love capitalism and don't want to be pulled away from that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I really don't know who does love capitalism, though. I really want to push on that. I don't think anyone actually does. I think that when people are stressed out about getting health care, when people are stressed and working jobs that they're not passionate about or feeling lacking in their life because they're working a job that doesn't have meaning, I, I would stress that majority the majority of people are not thriving in the same way that we can hold nuance for the fact that like men are equally suffering under patriarchy, whether they're aware of it or not. I would say that we're all suffering under capitalism, whether we're aware of it or not. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a whole other <clears throat> kind of yeah layer of conversation that i don't i don't know gets spoken to off, often enough um about how much people who um have a lot of wealth are actually injured by the wealth and that's not to say that they're experiencing the same injuries that people who are experiencing poverty experience because yeah. that's it's very very serious to not have money in a country or in a like in a global economy even that uh you know requires it but also yeah wealthy people are really injured by their wealth and mm -hmm. injured by their wealth and just by living in a capitalist system. Right, right. I'm curious then, do you have any ideas for activism, for hope on what that looks like of how we would get towards a different world, like the small little steps we can take? And maybe community is one of them, like we started at the beginning of this conversation. Yeah, you know, I don't feel that I don't have like a that would be overstepping for me to say that i have like a bullet pointed bullet bullet pointed the manifesto <laughs> on, on how, how we're going to transition out of capitalism <clears throat> because i do not um but i do i do think a lot about how we're, how we can continue to survive in it yeah um and i and community is one of the big ones yeah mm -hmm. i mean really just investing in our relationships i think is one of the most important things we can invest in mm-hmm you know, I think it's good to save for retirement and whatnot too. But I also think that investing in um, the just the strength of your connection with people 
is a very is a powerful life giving act. And ultimately, I think about things like, okay, you know, we all want to save for retirement because we don't want to have, you know, kind of basically have to work until we're, you know, it's, it's you're suffering because your body is is um not able to do the work anymore. And also there's sort of this fear of like not getting enough medical care mm -hmm. as you age. Mm -hmm. Even if you have lots and lots and lots of money, you're still going to die and you're still probably going to suffer and be ill. I think that one of the things that is the most powerful in in our suffering is can people be with you? Mm. Like, do you have relationships with people who can be with you even though you're suffering? Yeah. Um, so that's one of the reasons I think community is really important. And I also think that's it's a really important, you know, for people of all classes and, you know, kind of all identities just to have people around us that support us and mm -hmm. can sit with us and also can go with us through hard times. Like that's yeah. another thing is, you know, people talk a lot about how like when you get ill, like really ill, that you lose people because there are some people who just can't face it. They can't look at your illness and say, wow, okay, I'm going to stick with you through this. Yeah. Even though it reminds me of my own mortality, even though I'm worried mm. about losing you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, even though you will have a lot of needs and need is very sort of like criminalized or looked down upon um, in this country. And so, you know, building, not just building good relationships, but also like building our capacity to be in very real relationships, very intimate relationships, ones where we say, okay, like you are ill, your body is changing, your needs are changing, mm -hmm. uh, your life is dramatically changing. Can I stick with you through this? Mm -hmm. Can I keep a relationship with you? Mm -hmm. And will you do the same for me? Absolutely. Instead of this sort of like extraction, use relationship to be actually be there in the full reality of what it looks like to be there in relationship with another person. Yeah, it's hard. You know, we're not great at intimacy. We're not great at intimacy. And money mediates a lot of our intimacies. So it's, it, I mean, I think that can totally. be sort of, it makes it really difficult to well, develop healthy Laura. intimacy. Tell me why we're not good at intimacy. <laughs> Let's go there. <laughs> well, you know what? I oh God, I love this conversation. Yeah, you know, um, one of the reasons I think that we're not great at intimacy, and I, I talk about this a little bit in my book, is partly because we have so much control mm. over intimate relationships and people with increasing levels of power and money have even more control. You know, in the most basic ways we have control, like, you can actually just block somebody on social media. You can just say, I never want to see or hear from you again. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but it's interesting that somebody can make you upset and you can actually just do this thing where you cut them out of your life mm -hmm. and you're not going to see them in the common area that you all go to, yeah. to, you know, you're not going to sort of be forced to grow in community together. So you can do that because a lot of community is in spaces like social media uh, or, you know, online. So that's like the most basic way that I think a lot of people can control relationship, even just like the fact that you can quit your job and go get another job, which you should be able to. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, people should just stay at their jobs. But more so what I mean is that when we have so many options to cut off from people and we don't experience the intimacy of being interdependent, um, I actually think that it makes it so that we don't necessarily grow and also communities aren't responsible to themselves. So, for example, let's say that you want to block someone or quit your job because somebody is treating you really poorly at your job. 
I'm not saying you should stay there to be in the intimacy of somebody treating you poorly. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, wouldn't it be amazing if we lived in a communities where that person who's not treating you well and you will be held by the community to transform that dynamic instead of needing to exit the community. And then this person just, I don't know, continues to be harmful to other people. That's like a way that I think we don't necessarily grow intimacy. But then, you know, as you are sort of looking at people who have more and more wealth access, even just something as simple as you're sick and instead of your community supporting you, you're just on, you know, food delivery apps, on grocery delivery apps, kind of like getting, and I'm not saying that's wrong to do, like that's actually might be what you have to do. But there's this way, you know, even like contactless delivery. Mm -hmm. I know that that came about because of COVID, uh, because people don't want to give each other illnesses. But isn't it interesting how much people just don't want to have any intimate interaction with the people who are serving them? And yeah, it's I mean, all of this is it's all kind of arenas where, you know, in the context of not wanting to interact with someone who's like, let's say, delivering food. I have a question of why. Is that because you're worried about getting sick and you're worried about COVID or you're worried about them getting sick and COVID? Or is that because it's so uncomfortable to acknowledge exploitation because so many people who are, you know, doing this in the gig economy are being heavily exploited? Mm-hmm. And or you're from a younger generation who grew up with the Internet at your fingertips and now it's uncomfortable, like quite literally uncomfortable to mm. have any sort of conversation with a human where it's like, I don't even want to make a phone call. Mm-hmm. I I think that's what I hear a lot from people my age or even younger of like this, like, I don't call people, you call people. And then we continue to go into like deeper, deeper silos where it's like, yeah, I don't want to have someone drop off the food because what if I have to have a five second conversation with them? I'm not prepared for that. Yeah. 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 Such a trip. Which I'm I mean, that's scared. What is our society going to be like with that? You know, one of the kind of fantasies of our, um, of of like the American dream is like, you know, you, you own your house and you have all this sort of land, you're, you're, you're away from people, or you somehow get to like, have a lot of control around you. And I often say, I think it's really good for your mental health to have annoying neighbors. <laughs> and I, I say this because it's like, yeah, like, you know, the annoying neighbor is this kind of this, this like, oh, I want to get away from my annoying neighbor. I want to get away from my annoying coworker or, you know, just there's sort of this idea, generally speaking, like I want to, I want to be able to control who I'm around, even if they annoy me and annoy. I'm not talking about somebody who's harming you or anything like that. Right. But like, what an interesting thing to have to interact with people mm-hmm. who you don't agree with them. You know, you have to listen to their needs. You have to think about their needs and yours you have to advocate for your own needs as they're advocating for theirs and you're they're not always in, in agreement i mean we're just not that good at that because we avoid it mm-hmm. at a lot of costs and of course this is also you know i'm a white person and i want to name that because this is a i think this is like a very big issue for white people i think that across race and class and like kind of cultural lines this plays out really differently for people but Definitely, I think the mainstream narrative in the U.S., which would be like a white and wealthy narrative, is one that's of like essentially isolate yourself and try and control your environments. You know, living your best life, hashtag best life, is 
<clears throat> not having to deal with anybody who annoys you. Right. Hyper individualism, which is also making me think as you were talking about how this really amplifies cancel culture. You know, mm -hmm. when you're in community with people and you have a transgression and there you can be held by community to grow in that together and realize the humanness of all of us in that and the fact that we all mess up. I don't want to and holding us accountable for that, whatever that looks like in a system that's different than what we have now, right? I'm dreaming of this other world, but in the world we have now, when we're so disconnected, we can absolutely cut block and then utterly destroy anybody who has any idea of a belief that you might not agree with. And it's scary how deep that is on the internet and how people's lives can be completely ruined by this level of energy that people are coming with to community and connection. Yeah, it really, the cancel, the canceling, I, I'm like, is canceling still happening? I mean, I'm hearing, yes. I'm also hearing a lot of like critique. You're like, yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm hearing a lot of critique of, of cancel culture uh, in the past several years. But yeah, you know, complicated thing. On the one hand, I have a background in transformative justice. I I am like on the one hand, I'm like let's you know let's all basically like talk it out and get people support and and heal and and stay in community together. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, I'm like you know what if that's not working, is there a reason actually? For example, people sometimes ask me what I think about callouts online. Mm, yeah especially because a big thing that I get asked a lot about is um, sexual violence that's in psychedelic space. So like when right. a provider, for example, is sexually harming people who they're working with. On the one hand, I'm like, yeah, approach that person, you know, invite them into conversation, um, et cetera, et cetera. And on the other hand, if that person is not going to, to stop and not going to be accountable and not going to engage, yeah, I support a public call out. And I support a public call out because I don't, I want other people to know not to work with that person. I want to help people stay safe. You know, my primary interest is in stopping harm. And so I do think there's times where public call outs actually just make the most sense, even though it's not, you know, it's not the thing that I think is um, necessarily the most healing. Like I, I, you know, I've talked to many people who have been called out very few people are like, mm, when I got publicly called out, it totally helped me become accountable. Usually people are pretty pissed and they right. dig deeper into, you know, defending themselves. And a lot of times those people who have been publicly called out did not listen in the first place uh, and they didn't listen after several attempts. So it's not that I think it's like a great tool, but I do think sometimes we just need to protect community. Right. And that reminds me of like group psychology theory, right? That when, you know, something's going on, when it can be voiced by the whole group and you look around in a circle and you see everyone critiquing you with that same feedback, it gets pretty hard to think that you were in the right once you look out at multiple faces who are looking at you and giving you something else, right? Mm -hmm. And thinking about maybe that like group psychology on a larger scale with something like a call out to have that moment where enough people look at you and it hits you in a different way. Yeah, you know, this is also kind of an interesting intersection with um, capitalism because um, there's this movie Hollow Water that is about a tribe, an Ojibwe tribe that is doing um, in Canada that's doing um, basically a version of restorative justice Okay, where some people, and I, I highly recommend this film if people are interested, it's basically some people um, in the tribe have sexually abused other people. And rather than, you know, reporting them and, and sending them away, the tribe gives them a certain amount of time that they have to 
basically like come to accountability and it's a lot of time mm. it's a lot of time like i think it's maybe even it's it's more than a year i think and so they're doing their accountability work in this environment you know and um and they managed to have a pretty profound restorative justice process so it's a really beautiful film i think it's really it's really amazing and it's such a gift that they were willing to let that be seen publicly um so that people can can watch it and learn from it but one of the things that's interesting about it when we're out here not in a tribe like that saying uh you know how do we do restorative justice and transformative justice it's interesting to look at that case it's a case where there's such an important emphasis on being with the tribe mm -hmm. like not having to leave the tribe yeah that there's a really big motivation to stay in the community and because of the way that capitalism impacts many people and that we are moving in and out of communities all the time and we believe that that's fine you know where 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 many people who are sort of entrenched in capitalism don't necessarily see the value in staying in the same community your whole life not that I'm saying you should, but just that there could be a value in that. And so what that ends up meaning is that it's a lot easier to kick someone out of a community, that it's a lot easier to leave a community if you've done a bad thing. And it's easy even for all the people around that, even people who didn't do the bad thing or didn't experience the bad thing, just feeling like this is too much and I don't want to be a part of this community. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen whole communities kind of fall apart mm -hmm. um, because there's so much room to make new community. And why why is that the case? Because of the way that capitalism has disconnected us from land base, disconnected us from from each other. So then we're just disposable at that point. Yeah, I mean, disposable, interchangeable. Essentially, I think it really affects our ability to be accountable. Yeah. It affects our motivation to be accountable. Mm, say more. I mean, I think just wanting to stay in the tribe is a reason to be accountable. And when I say that, I'm not speaking specifically about that movie, but just for anybody like wanting to stay in the group. And and for a lot of people, staying in group is about survival. You know, that's another thing about sort of like privilege. Like some people do not have the privilege to recreate a new community somewhere else. They do not have the means to move away or exit. Um, and so then you know, being able to stay in the community and and work things out in the community is a um is a really valuable skill. And then other people have the means and the privilege to exit communities and start new ones and and do and mm -hmm. without sort of necessarily um having that motivation to stay in community and 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 change or be accountable. Right. And then hence how intimacy becomes a sort of take while it's good and good for me and feels nice. And the second that it doesn't, I'm no longer responsible because there is another community over here or there's another person I can find on this dating app or there's another thing over here rather than staying in that the reality of what a human relationships, what community actually is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, of course, I'm like we're speaking about this in some ways from kind of a an imaginary place and like i don't know right. that you know how this would all play out if life was different but i do that is a that is a thing i get the sense of that yeah there's in being so sort of movable uh and uh disconnected from each other that there's less motivation to really do the work and then of course we just also live in a society in the us that's just we're very focused on not being responsible you know it's the foundation the foundation of this country is like i don't want to be responsible i don't want to be accountable i don't want to admit that you know 
that enslaved people produced a lot of the wealth that this has made this country so wealthy, you know, things like that. It's like, I don't want to acknowledge that. Not me personally, but we, we don't want to acknowledge that we're, we're, we're a society that's very built on not being accountable. Yeah. Maybe once we acknowledge that, then we'll critique capitalism enough to realize that it started off on an unequal race. Yeah. Like there, it was not fair for everybody, right? This whole idea of fair work your way up, but it's like the whole thing was started. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why anyone thinks capitalism is fair and you have to work your way up. I feel like at this point, we've got that, that one. Is, well, I feel like Gen Z is really totally. challenging yeah. that so much. I feel like Gen Z is like, I'm like, I'm rooting. I feel like Gen Me Z is a, a generation where I'm like, I, I get the sense that they are just like, no, that's not how it works. Yes, yes. But then here's what I find interesting, right? Is the idea of like these relationships where you're take, take, taking. And then something like AI comes out, right? And, you know, Snapchat gives you my AI and you have this little AI that talks to you and it gives you compliments and all these nice things. And my supervisor had mentioned, yeah, why would I want to talk to a human with all their messiness and mood changes when I could just talk to my AI? Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, we'll see what's going to happen with AI. I'm curious. Yeah. You know, at some point, things just have to get so bad that we will revolt. Yeah, because I think when you're talking about intimacy and not wanting to stay in community with humans, let's up that. Let's up that to a community where I could be with AI instead, who's going to tell me I look pretty and I look beautiful and my ideas are great every day. Wow. That's so intense. AI could be your friend. It is. It already is. And I thought that was way far off until I literally saw Snapchat come in with my AI. And then I was like, oh my God, it's right here. It's already right here. It's already happening. So I'm really curious what you're talking about. Give that 10 years with that being in the equation. I am curious if it's going to get even worse or if we'll hit this tipping point where we come back. We go so far that we come back to it and are like, wow, we should maybe stay with humans. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, oh gosh, I'm just sitting here thinking like, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get people interacting? I don't know. I don't know. I know. What the future holds. And it makes for quite an interesting space, don't you think? How do you mean? Just all of this. I think when people ask about like the future and what it's going to look like, I think with, when these sort of things are coming out, like, will I one day be providing therapy to someone who's dating AI, just like the movie Her? Like, will that be my work uh, one day yeah it might be it might be certainly i have definitely encountered scenarios where it seems like people have really deep relationships online yeah and have never met people in real life or even seen them <clears throat> maybe just seen a photo you know right. so i mean i think that's we're definitely seeing that but wow yeah dating ai that might be the case Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And who am I to judge? Right. And who am I yeah. to judge what is right or wrong in the world? I think I have a bias already against that of preferring human to human relationships. But I think that will be something that we'll have to unpack as that continues. And you have, you know, in your pocket, a, a relationship with AI and the fact that that's just going to continue to be part of how we step up into this world and the younger generations that are going to be living with that as the world that they step into. Wow, I you're blowing my mind right now. Yeah, I just I didn't realize that was maybe a thing that could be that that does no, it does sound like yeah, I could see it you being around the corner. You can send pictures to it. I've I've tried it. I play around. Like I sent pictures of me and my cat, and it's like your cat's so cute. Don't you love furry friends? Oh. And I'm like, yeah, I do. 
Yeah, exactly. So like, there you go. Like I could be sending it pictures every day. And at that point, it might even feel good to have someone who communicates and is positive. So then I start to think like, okay, like maybe this could be healthy in some way because it's teaching, like imagine the person who's always had a relationship that has been abusive and that's their family mm. structure that they come into. What if my AI becomes their only relationship where they receive positive feedback? Wow. Like, okay, maybe that, maybe that's good. Maybe we welcome that because then that is like a healthy correctional, like relational dynamic where they're receiving positive regard. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. I mean, yeah. I, and I'm with you on the, like, who am I to judge and, you know, kind of not, not knowing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. If something allows people to engage in, you know, being empowered, engaged in their lives and protective and supportive of people and animals and plants and things around them, I'm like, then, you know, so be it. But yeah, that'll be interesting how that plays out. I, I'm actually like not following a lot. Well, I follow a little bit on the AI stuff, but like, I'm not, for example, not like trying out all the apps. So I've like dabbled a tiny bit in the, what is it called? G, G, chat, chat GPT. Chat, chat GPT. <laughs> you know a little bit and and kind of in that so um so this is like new to me i'm like oh yeah the technology is already there yeah. for us to have relationships with ai where that yeah you could be like dating ai totally and then sex robots right the second we can program that into a whole thing oh, yeah. right and then oof, what about a future where maybe you could like have relationships kind of like um deep fakes what if you could have mm. a relationship with someone who's famous interesting mm -hmm. I, that seems really plausible too right we have deep fakes of world where you can create videos and things like you could date i don't know no but i wow. you know what i hope it's beyond our lifetime i hope that i am not a psychologist working through this because that's like now we're stepping into black mirror right where people can recreate yeah. their partners other sorts of things and live with that i mean but it, it doesn't honestly it does not seem far off yeah no everything you're saying doesn't seem far off to me either like i'm like oh, okay yeah it can chat with you right yeah you know can there be a robot oh, okay yeah like could you make that a famous person okay yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 even editing the podcast there's some softwares that i can use where um i can clear out what i said and then type in what i want it to say and it will use my oh. voice from the thing to recreate that and create my own voice yeah i know so then i'm freaking out over here like fuck like i make a podcast you make a podcast what happens when someone takes our clip and just goes to recreate and said laura said and then it sounds exactly like your voice my voice wow I know and that technology already exists. And I thought about that. I was like, how are they protecting that where someone couldn't take my podcast that's available, download it, and then use it into that and change it already? And I don't well, think that there's going to be. I think it's, <laughs> it's going to be, I think it's going to be the case that it totally transforms how we relate to media. Because there was a time when a photograph meant the truth. Yes. And, you know, it's yeah that's exactly what i was thinking what is truth gonna be that's been something i've been like thinking about i was like what is truth going to be because go ahead well i'm wondering if this will be the thing that drives us to be more in person mm, i love that take yeah you know because it'll be like i don't know what's real unless it's happening in front of me yeah damn wow See, I find this more of a fun conversation than being like, Laura, tell me about sex and psychedelics, please. <laughs> <laughs> this I'm is like, definitely, I mean, I love the kind of uh, associations conversations where we're just kind of, yeah, rolling yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious about also my mind works like that where I'm like, and then I can go back to what I said 20 minutes ago. But I am curious about that. 
will we become so isolated and simultaneously things will become so unreal, essentially, so so that we don't know what truth is, that the only real thing is being in person? Potentially. As you were saying that, I was thinking about my experience growing up as a younger person with social media, like right in my pocket, right? And that like loving it, doing it, it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. And then getting to this point where I'm like, I want off of it. I want done with it, you know, and a lot of people's taking that big step back from it. And I'm curious if, yeah, something similar would happen in our large trajectory of like, yeah, getting so deep into it, really liking it and eventually completely pulling back and being like, yeah, that was maybe not for our betterment. Mm-hmm, hmm hmm It'll be interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I think about how in the late 90s, there was like such a big push to stop watching TV. Mm. But TV was not good. TV was really, you know, a lot of bad storytelling, a lot of bad acting. Like TV had just become, I think, a thing that a lot of people weren't that interested in and it wasn't novel. Um, so there was such a big push and truly everyone I knew most people did not watch television. Many people did yeah. not have televisions in their homes, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Fast forward like 15 years and television is in its prime. Mm. It's so good. It's so interesting. It's got all these different kinds of yeah. people, you know, like telling narratives and stories that you normally wouldn't hear. Um, I mean, I think I have read, I read an article not so long ago that we've hit peak television and peak television is, mm. you know, kind of fading or whatever. But yeah, and the fact that you could have a computer, you know, people would sort of have have these things that it wasn't like a huge device. It was like something you could kind of put away or now they have um, televisions that it goes on the wall and it it looks like a photograph, like a picture all the time. Interesting. And then you can, I, I want to say it's made by Samsung and it's called like a picture TV or something. Huh. It literally looks like a picture frame. So you could have like a gallery wall yeah. where you have lots of pictures and you wouldn't realize that one of them is a TV. Interesting. And then when you're ready to watch TV, you can watch. So, you know, and more so I started telling the story though, because there was this time where it's like, okay, people are like watching less and less TV and then, you know, capitalism responds and now people are obsessed with TV. So with the the kind of social media and AI and stuff, I could definitely see us going through a cycle of, you know, becoming, I, I think a lot of people that I know are like a lot less interested at this point in, um, in social media. That could also be a generational thing and sort of where I'm at in my life, but um, less interested. However, if that becomes a mass movement of being less interested, there will be, you know, there will be some kind of creation to bring people back into totally. sort of consuming our attention. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There'll be that pull somehow, some way it will get us. Ugh. I don't want to say it's all scary because like you said, the Gen Z, I feel like I have so much hope. I think that we'll continue to have conversations that I think hopefully inspire people to realize that man, again and again, I am seeing that the importance of nuance, right? And letting go of black and white thinking, all these things have very nuanced approaches that we should be looking at these things. It's not like AI is going to ruin the world. It probably will bring a lot of great to the world, but it's oh, yeah. going to have to be such a nuanced thing with lots of critical thinking about how this is going to change intimacy, relationships, work, particularly. There's, I mean, I'm not even you know, within my own scope to start talking about how AI is going to change capitalism, but that's a huge one too, right? And all this is going to take such a nuanced conversation of how we navigate it all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know, it's like deep breath on that one. 
So as we come towards the end of our magical co-creation of a conversation, I'm curious if you had anything going into today that was on your heart that you wanted to talk about that maybe we didn't hit that you wanted to share with the listener. I don't know that I do have anything like that. Mainly, I just want to say I'm glad that you're having a having a show where there's so many different intersections of conversation and that it feels like you're creating an environment where um, everything can be talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, I think just, again, in this capitalist landscape, there's so much emphasis on conversation being, you know, kind of like high value, really specific, really oriented toward a certain thing. There are many things we cannot talk about. Then there are the things that we do, et cetera, et cetera. And to be able to be in an environment of sort of exploring complexity and and all the different topics, you know, even just the idea of like an AI partner, like the, the both the juxtaposition of that being on the one hand, like, no, isolation. And on the other hand, like, is this, could this potentially help you to experience healthier relationships right. if your AI partner is healthily interacting mm-hmm. with you? So really appreciating that aspect of this conversation and space you're making. I appreciate that. And you sharing that, it uh, reminded me of, uh, I'm still in school, right? So like the ideas and the theories are all really fresh for me Mm -hmm. um, of existential therapy and like creating the space for the unfolding and the magic that can happen when you kind of take that step back to be present with someone and see where that goes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like what happens when instead of trying to control something or go to an outcome, we just experience it and allow it. I would say magic. Magic. <laughs> magic. That is our, where magic happens. Totally it is. And our inner healing wisdom and all the things that I, I trust it's a conversation that needed to be happen needed to happen, right? And needed to be shared. And it will be something that will take on its own entity in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. As we close our time, I'll ask you the one question I ask everyone is what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? You get to take that anywhere you want in any capacity. This is going to seem really basic, but I wish that people knew that it was normal to have needs. Mm. There's a lot of ways that we talk about need, especially in the U.S., that sort of indicate that we think it's abnormal or wrong Mm. or a sin or criminal or you know too needy Mm -hmm. and actually we're extremely needy we need a lot and i i wish more people could appreciate that myself included there's many 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 times when i'm completely lose sight of that just that Mm -hmm. other people having needs and myself having needs it's just it's normal yeah yeah i'm thinking about that hyper individualistic society message that we get especially in the west right and the reality that, dare I say with confidence, we all need relationships and community of some sort, whether that's more distant or super close, I would say pretty confidently that we all need relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would even say we need a relationship with earth and, yes. you know, non, non, yes. non-human kin, but Many people would probably disagree with that, but I think it's a need. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. Well, it was a pleasure to have you on the show and co-create this conversation with you. 
would you want to plug people to your podcast, your work? Where can they oh, find you? Yeah, my podcast is called Inside Eyes. It's on every podcasting app. And my book is called Radical Healership, um, How to Build a Values-Driven Healing Practice in a Profit-Driven World. And it's also available pretty much anywhere that books are sold. Perfect. I'll have all of the links below. Thank you for coming on to the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast and head on over to modernanarchypodcast.com to get resources and learn more about all the things we talked about on today's episode. I want to thank you for tuning in and I will see you all next week.